Well, it's great to have the opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, of course, we finished up our series in Acts. Last week, we heard from Kirk Franklin uh, on a fresh perspective on mission from the scriptures. And then today, we start our time in the parables. I wonder, how would you describe your current life situation? How would you think about it? Perhaps the answer might be different depending on our life stage. Maybe we're still at uni uh, or studying, trying to define ourselves and get started. Maybe we started working, we've got the career, we're busy with that. Perhaps we've got kids, we're trying to pay off a mortgage, trying to work out how to balance family, friends, finances, work, church, even smiling. It's a challenge. Maybe we're stepping up through more senior roles or more advisory roles. Maybe we love what we do. Maybe we don't. Or maybe we're finished with work and we're seeking to finish well. Would you describe your life as abundant? Does your life feel full and rich? Do you have some good things stashed away somewhere for the future? As we get into the word today, we'll see indeed we can have the abundant life. We can have good things stored up for the future. We can have a rich and a full experience. And I think we've seen some great insights into that this morning as people have shared too, which has been great. The word abundance, what does the word conjure up for you? What does it mean? If we were, I think we can walk down Mayona Road now and get on the train station, right, from this side of the road. So if we were to do that, we'd see many attempts to answer that question. You spend the 41 minutes or so taking the train from here into Flinders Street. Well, you'd see plenty of houses getting progressively more expensive or smaller as we head in towards the city. Some even with rooftop terrace views or spas or jacuzzis or tennis courts big backyards or prime locations. Is that abundance? Several advertising billboards on the way, no doubt, will tell us about some new or superior product that will improve our quality of life. We'd pass several forms of leisure and pleasure, wouldn't we? Parks, gardens, walks, cafes, restaurants, people out and about with friends and family enjoying themselves. And then we'd get into the city itself, where you've got museums, you've got theatres, you've got the aquarium if you've got kids, that's probably one on your list. And the city is called the CBD, the Central Business District. It's the centre of business. Working and networking, high-powered executives and corporate boards, law firms, construction firms, large business deals and transactions, side-by-side with boutique shops and cafes. Where can we find abundance? What does it look like? Well, our time in the Word starts with a parable today in Luke chapter 12. And indeed, we're going to be stepping through a number of parables uh, in the coming months. It promises to be quite an interesting series. Jesus moves quickly uh, as he goes through the parables. And so I look forward to a varied and fast-paced series. So what is a parable? As Josh reminded us this morning, a parable, it's a simple story. But it's a simple story with a moral or a spiritual lesson. And we, of course, will be looking at those parables as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Parable comes from the Latin word, and I'll pronounce these wrong, but the Latin word parabola, or the Greek word parabola, 
which means comparison. And so parables are designed to make us compare, to think, to reflect, to contrast. And in doing those things, we can come to understand the meaning of the parable. Why did Jesus tell parables? Parables had a way of drawing out people's real thoughts and values, didn't they? We see two types of response to parables in Jesus' ministry. One response to parables we observe through the Gospels was that for some people, parables actually harden the hearts. We see this many times with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the experts in the law. They hear the parable and they double down on their beliefs and behaviours. You only need to turn back one chapter in Luke to chapter 11 and you'll see a clear example of this. But the second and better response was that people got it. They were really convinced and convicted by the lesson of the story and they genuinely changed their thoughts and their behaviours. And we see this in the disciples, don't we? They listen intently, as Jesus tells in the parables. They think on them deeply and they become convinced and convicted. These simple lessons, they take them to heart and they went and they lived them out. And so as we hear the parables of Jesus over the next few months, I pray that we too may be like the disciples, that we hear them with a a healthy fear of God, a healthy respect, that they'll help us further our knowledge and our wisdom, and that we'll be blessed as we put them into practice. One other aspect of a parable I'd mention is that, of course, they were originally told to Jesus' followers 2,000 years ago. So these were people who were fishermen, potters, carpenters. They were simple jobs. They were jobs close to nature often. And so the examples that are given are deliberately taken from those kind of lifestyles. And so as we hear them 2,000 years later, we might need a little bit of work just to fully understand the context of the parables. And so we come to the first point today. Life is not found in an abundance of possessions. So we start in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, and I'd encourage you to turn there now and follow along with us today. We see a man in the crowd begging Jesus to weigh in on a family dispute over a will. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, he says to Jesus. But Jesus won't be drawn into this specific dispute Instead, he gives a more general response that applies to the whole crowd that are gathered around him. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now we might assume, well, that's that's not a very good response for this guy. But as we'll see, it is actually good news for this man. He's missed out on the inheritance. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to miss out on life. And then he starts with the parable of the rich fool. A highly successful businessman from all accounts, highly successful farmer. Perhaps he's worked hard for many years, he's sought to establish himself in a good position and now to top it all off, he's had a ripper season. He's got a bumper crop. Since January this year, uh, I've been more involved in the family farm where I grew up uh, with mum and dad. Uh, that's located down near Sale in Gippsland. And I've been helping on the, the business planning and management and administration side of things 
and I've been really enjoying it so far. Dairy farming has its challenges, uh, for sure. Uh, the milk price changes every season, every year. You never quite know whether you're going to be able to turn a good profit or you're going to have to go to the bank and ask for some more money. But I will say we've been quite blessed over the past few years, uh, very thankful to, the, to God for his provision. We've had weather extremes. We've had um, key people change in the team. We've had a bunch of other things, you know, the ups and downs of the season. But, uh, but God has blessed us through that, so we're very thankful for that. Well, if dairy farming sounds hard, uh, for all I've heard about crop farming, it sounds harder again to me. You can spend up big on next year's crop, work hard for months and months getting it in, only to have a year where it doesn't rain early in the season, or it rains too much later in the season, or it doesn't stop raining, or it never rains. Any number of things can happen, and you can have very little to show for it. The crop just doesn't doesn't grow, doesn't start, doesn't germinate, or when it's ready to harvest, the rain comes and you can't harvest anymore, the grain's too wet, it goes mouldy and it goes off. But if the crop farmers that I know had a bumper harvest, and they do happen from time to time, they'd be happy as rain. But I know, for most of the ones that I know, the first person lining up at these overflowing barns would be the bank. They would have a fair call on the interest and the debt that needed to be paid off before the farmer could do what he wanted to do. However, this is not so for the rich fool, is it? He doesn't appear to owe anybody anything. The crop is so good, his barns are literally overflowing. He's had barns for years and years and years. Never, ever, ever before has he had so much. And he's happy as punch. He's got enough to cover his expenses, his food, drink, shelter, clothing. He's got enough to plant next year's crop. And the year after that, and the year after that, and still, he has his big amount left over. Well, at this point, he's got a decision to make, doesn't he? He can choose door A, he can choose to keep it all for himself. To store up this treasure in some new bigger barns so that he can secure it, he can lock it up, he can secure his future, set himself up for years and years to come. And he thinks about the good things that he can enjoy as he does that. Or behind door B, he can choose to give at least some of the excess away. In a sense, to be generous towards others, to be generous towards God even. To take some of this excess that he has and give it to those who may not even have had enough. And now from stage left enters the villain of greed. The allure of possessions is so strong. The feeling of wealth so enticing, the rich fool decides to keep all this for himself. And even goes to the expense of building new barns, setting it all up for his future self to enjoy. Greed can be very alluring. If you haven't figured it out yet, in the area of possessions, you can never have enough. I remember Peter Costello speaking at a men's conference at Belgrave Heights a few years ago. Uh, maybe some others were there and he told a story from when he was treasurer of Australia and he had a conversation with an Australian billionaire that's billionaire with a B uh, about the potential impact of some changes they were making, I think it might have been the GST uh, I'm not sure this Australian's response to, to Peter was well I'm not, I can't afford it Peter I, I'm not rich like the American billionaires 
the, the third, second or third richest person in the entirety of Australia, he still didn't feel rich. If we follow greed, we'll never have enough. So the rich fool, he builds his new barns to hold his significant wealth and as he does so, he steps back and he thinks, this is going to be fantastic. There is just so much good stuff stored up for my future. I cannot wait to get into it. He's feeling pretty secure. In his mind, he's got everything he needs. But can we ever really get to a point where we've secured our own future? Can we ever work long enough and hard enough? Can we ever rely on our own strength? Well, if anyone would think they could, this rich person could. Need a doctor? Sure. Need a cook? Sure. Need a masseur or a smorgasbord or a holiday? Need someone to top up your wine cabinet? He's got money for all of that. Anything he wanted, virtually anything he wanted, he could buy. However, as Colleen read to us so well, we of course discovered he wasn't actually in control of his own destiny, was he? We read in the passage there was a a day appointed for him to die and that day was this very day. This very day he would not get to enjoy any of the things he'd stored up for himself. And to top that all off, that insult to injury, who was going to get to enjoy it? He wasn't. He'd have to give it to someone else. All of our earthly things we must pass on to others at some point. We see in verse 21... There's a clear blessing in sharing now. There's a clear benefit to being generous towards others today. We can't keep it anyway, but we're blessed to give it now of our excess while we have opportunity. We're blessed to be generous towards God. So we finish now with the parable And we move to the second part of today's passage and to Jesus' teaching from verse 22. And we'll see as we go the following teaching. It has several links back to the parable that we've just just talked about. And in verse 22, Jesus says something that I think is even more striking than what he said in the earlier parable. He makes the incredible statement, do not worry about your life. In fact, Matthew also records this passage in his gospel It's an important teaching of Jesus. Do not worry about your life. Well, Jesus originally made this statement to his live audience, to the crowd gathered around him 2,000 years ago. A life in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, well, that was in many ways a more precarious experience than what we have today. Think about this. There's no social security. There's no Centrelink. There's no Medicare or universal health care. There's no superannuation. There's no workers' rights. There's no work health and safety. Events like droughts and floods, disease and sickness carried quicker and more severe impacts to people than they do today. Now, of course, as always, there were a small number of people who lived better than the rest, royalty and the elites, but life was a tougher experience. Into this context, Jesus speaks about worry, about anxiety. And while we are on paper far better off today than people 2,000 years ago, we all know, don't we, that worry and anxiety are still common. 
An article from The Guardian states that younger Australians are more likely to be anxious and depressed and also to binge drink and vape than older people. Almost 19% of people aged 15 to 24 had anxiety. And for people 75 or older, over 7% have anxiety. And we know also that COVID presented many challenges to people, especially in Melbourne, in the most locked down city in the world. And so uh, we expect many people are still feeling some of the impacts of that today. Worry and anxiety is an ongoing issue. Possessions, wealth, they will never solve that problem. Life, Jesus says, is more. Life can be more. Life should be more. Life is more. When Rachel and I came back from New Zealand, uh, I think it was about five years ago now, I was given a role with my work titled the Yarraville Terminal Manager, Fuel Terminal Manager. Yarraville was a, and still is, a complex fuel facility. It's a large facility in the western suburbs of Melbourne, in the Footscray, Altona area, that big industrial precinct. It was also quite an old facility and there were many challenges in making it run smoothly. Every year, WorkSafe would conduct what was called a major hazard facility inspection, which was essentially an audit. And the name said it all. WorkSafe's perception was that we were a major hazard and we dealt with a very large volume of hazardous material on that site. Well, several months before I got there, uh, WorkSafe had completed their annual major hazard facility inspection and they'd almost shut the place down. It was a major issue. And so by the time I arrived back in Australia after a holiday around New Zealand, managing a smaller, simpler site over there and got familiar with Yarraville, I realised the situation was quite a lot worse than I'd thought. And we only had five months to prepare for the next WorkSafe major hazard audit. Well, if I was honest, I would tell you I worried about that in the morning, I worried about that at lunchtime, I worried about that in the afternoon and at night and before I went to sleep. I worried that WorkSafe would shut the terminal down, I worried that I wouldn't have a job. In that season of my life, and indeed still today, I needed to hear the words of Luke 12. Consider the ravens, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap. They don't have storerooms or barns. And yet God still feeds them. And we see a common theme here emerging, don't we? Storerooms and barns, this, this attempt to try and secure things up for our future, to try and control our future. Whether motivated by greed or by pleasure or seeking to dispel worry, we can become focused on trying to secure our own future, how we'll prepare, provide for ourselves, how we'll try to prevent some bad thing from happening in the future. And yet the ravens, well, they don't store up anything. <laughs> they do none of these things and God still feeds them. Proof from everyday life, Jesus says, we can see all around us, God will provide. And I can tell you, God provides very well for the local crows that sit outside our front door. Every time I'm on a Zoom call, it seems, they take their loud, obnoxious calls and they just go on and on and on. If there was no video on the Zoom call, I think people must assume I was sitting out in the middle of the bush somewhere. Very noisy. 
If the examples of ravens is not enough, Jesus provides another in verse 27. He gives an example for what we wear. Consider the wildflowers. Consider how they grow. They don't labour, they don't spin. And yet not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed as finely as these wildflowers. Why does he say these things? Because he sees us. He knows us. And he cares. He cares very deeply. In fact, all through Luke chapter 12, we see a really strong theme of God's care and concern for his people. We see it in verse 28. If that's how God clothes the grass of the fields which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? Of course you're far more important than wildflowers or ravens. Jesus says these things because he cares and because he knows life can be more. Life is more. And because he knows that many of us, including myself, struggle with worry. If that's not enough proof already, Jesus follows it up with another important observation. Worrying cannot add even a single hour to our lives. Worrying has never added to someone's life. But of course we know it can take away, can't it? It can take away time and energy that we could have spent doing something else. So what happened at that WorkSafe audit at Yarraville Terminal? five months later, that I spent so much of my life and time worrying about. Surprise, surprise, we passed the audits. The terminal kept running and we all kept our jobs. God provided. But I can tell you the worrying did not add even a single hour to my life or the lives of my team. And you know what? I think it took away from my life instead. I wish I had paid more attention to Luke 12 and trusted in God's provision more. So do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will wear. God has it under control. Trust in him who is actually in control. God loves you so much. He knows you so intimately. He counts the hairs on our head. He sees us and our needs every day. I don't know if you caught the billboard outside church this morning. Uh, 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 is on the billboard outside. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Perhaps that would be a better billboard to look at than all the rest on the train journey from Monty into Flinders Street. We We know, don't we, that there can be physical or chemical issues at work in our bodies. We do live in a fallen world and our bodies reflect that. For issues like mental health, for mental health issues like anxiety, we can need the support and expertise of people around us. We can need counsellors and others. Jesus is not telling us to face these issues alone. So let's do it with others. Let's do it with the support that we need. But Jesus is saying to you and to me, I love you, I value you, I will provide for you. Do not worry.
So we've covered our first point today, life is not found in an abundance of possessions. We've also covered our second point, do not worry, but trust in him who's actually in control. Well, if these things are true, what should we be doing instead? And so now we come to the third point of today's message. Verse 31 in chapter 12, on its own, it can almost summarise today's entire passage. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. These things, what are these things that he's talking about here? Well, Jesus has just been talking about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. So he's talking about these kinds of things, our everyday basic needs. Now, I'm sure most of us have seen some real answers to prayer in these areas over our lives. Just recently, uh, it's been really encouraging to see a number of people at Monty have been able to get new jobs after their old jobs finished or jobs and roles that help them spend more time with their families that have helped meet some of those really important needs. Uh, My sister Laura and her husband Luke are missionaries in Africa uh, and they've experienced God's provision in a very direct sense time and time again. The general rule in Africa is if you're driving and you have an accident, you do not stop, you drive on to the next police station in the next major town and you give everything a little bit of time to settle down. Well, my, my sister and her husband, they had driven 12 hours the previous day, most of it off-road. They start out in the morning, uh, this was a couple of years ago, start out at 7am, leaving the town where they've stayed overnight, and a girl runs onto the road without looking. They're in a big Toyota four-wheel drive, and Luke, my brother-in-law, he tried to swerve, but he couldn't miss the girl, and the girl's head hit the metal front of the Land Cruiser. What do you do? They made the decision very dangerously to stop and help. Well, in a matter of minutes, hundreds of people had gathered on the scene and things were extremely tense. This girl's been hit on the head, lying on the ground, and people are gathering. God, in his providence, provided for them. There was a missionary who lived in the town and was able to get to the scene. She knew the leaders, she knew the authorities, she knew the girl's family. And this missionary was able to help keep tensions low. And praise God, this girl who, the metal, the metal front of the land cruiser hit her on the head. She went to, she got checked out by my brother-in-law, he's a, he's a doctor, and then she got taken to the hospital and all she needed was some sutures. That was all she needed. We were praying and praying for them. It was an incredibly tense situation. The girl went home, she was okay, and the missionary was able to check up on her for a number of days afterwards and just make sure that uh, she remained okay and she got all the help that she needed. And my sister and her brother-in-law, after this traumatic experience, they, they managed to continue on and get to their destination safely that night. Just an amazing answer to prayer. And, and we've seen a number of them with Luke and Laura in the years that they've been over in Africa. But we also know there are times and seasons when God's people may go without food or drink or clothing, where paid work may be hard to find. 
where everyday basic needs are not always met. And I'm sure Graham and others can tell us about some of the challenges our brothers and sisters face in those contexts. So what does this verse mean? That these things will be given us if we seek God's kingdom. This passage is about God's kingdom and God's people. He loves us. He wants to follow him. He wants us. He wants to lead us as our king. And God promises for all the good works that he has in store for us, he will provide. There will always be everything we need to do God's work. God will always provide what his kingdom work needs. And we know that when we get to heaven itself, well, there we will lack for nothing, eh? We read elsewhere in Matthew chapter 19 that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. We will be blessed with everything we need in heaven. Josh gave a great message a few weeks ago on faith. The question, is it a blind hope or is it a confident expectation? Well, in verse 32, Jesus reminds us this kingdom, the goodness of God, the promise of good things stored up in the future for each one of us, well, this is a confident expectation. In fact, it's so sure a thing, it's almost as if we have it now. In a very real sense, we already have the kingdom We can make the mistake as Christians of talking and acting like somehow we've lost. As Pat said earlier, somehow we're behind, we're on the losing side, that we don't have anything. No, Jesus says, in fact, you're already rich in God's kingdom. We are inheriting abundance, we're inheriting goodness stored up for the future, a lack of nothing. Nothing can take it away. God's given us the kingdom, it's ours, it's amazing, and we have it. And in this life, we will never lack for anything we need to do God's kingdom work. God will bless us abundantly for his purposes. So be confident, he says. Be bold, be passionate. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Act like you already own the kingdom, because we already do. So in light of this kingdom, we will inherit this kingdom that's promised. What should we do? How do we continue to run the race? and to seek God's kingdom until the day we come into its complete fulfilment. Well, in verse 33, we get some clues. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that won't wear out, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. And I think the picture Jesus gives us of treasure in heaven is really central to the answer. In Matthew 13.44, thinking on treasure, Matthew 13.44 tells us the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. What does the man do who finds it? He sells everything else and goes and buys the field, for there's nothing more valuable than the treasure. Matthew 19.2, Jesus tells the rich young man, if you want to be perfect, well, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, we read, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We know for ourselves, don't we, that we're blessed with more than just financial blessing and that indeed we have seasons where we may not be financially blessed. The rich fool, building up his his barns, he had more than grain. He now had time. He had energy. He had the ability to help others. He probably had built up some skills, some expertise, some networking connections that he could have used to help others. As we think of ourselves, we're all given resources by the Lord, aren't we? Maybe it is money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's talents or gifts. Maybe it's opportunities. Maybe it's time to pray and encourage. And we all need to decide how we're going to spend what the Lord has given us. What will we do with the things God has given us in his generosity and blessing? What will we focus on? Our son Josh uh, experienced a kind of generosity at school last week. Uh, One of his good friends generously gave him a brand new bouncy ball uh, to play a game called War Ball, which sounds very violent, but it's actually just bouncing a ball against a wall, and then there's a whole bunch of complicated rules uh, and moves around that. Rach and I gently suggested the game might have been called Wall Ball, but Josh would have none of it. That's War Ball. Uh, so anyway, this friend gave him this brand new bouncy ball, and I think the first ball it didn't even last the day before it rolled down the hill, uh, just before school ended and was lost. Well, a couple of days later, Josh's friend gave him a second brand new bouncy ball. We were very proud to hear that Josh generously then uh, lent it to some other kids to play with, uh, who promptly lost it down the hill. Uh, to some other kid who then threw it onto the roof of the canteen. <laughs> so Friday night we spent a bit of time talking Josh through the injustice of losing the second ball. Uh, but, but we were very proud of Josh for having the generosity to share it and give it to someone else. Uh, and nobody can take that away from him, can they? That act of generosity can't be taken away. As verse 21 asks, are we being generous towards God? Are our actions storing up treasure in heaven for us? Well, this passage includes a little built-in test for us to help answer that question. If verse 31 summarises the entire passage, I think verse 34 captures the application really well. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our heart? What what keeps us up at night? Where does our time and our energy go? Who gets our attention, our time, our thoughtful comments, our encouragement? What do we spend the most time praying about? In conclusion, an abundant life, well, we can't find it in possessions, can we? 
It's not found in self-reliance. We can't predict our future or secure it in our own strength. An abundant life is not full of worry. No, an abundant life is one that shares generously, one that trusts God to provide, one that builds up treasure and riches, just treasure and riches in heaven. So let each of us be storing up treasure in heaven and abundant provision that will last us forever. Let us remember that giving generously to others, looking after the poor and seeking God's kingdom first, that makes us heirs of the kingdom. There is no kingdom greater, there is no kingdom that can stand against the kingdom of heaven. We will inherit that kingdom. We have the keys. And so I pray as each of us go into this week, that you'll be encouraged, no matter what the world might tell you, that you have life, that all these things will be given you as well. You have and will see abundance, you have a secure future, and it's all found in the kingdom through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So seek his kingdom, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.